0: Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Ben Hunter, Booktopia's Fiction Category Manager. This is a podcast about books and the brilliant people who read them and write them. I'm recording from home today, my house on Gadigal land. I want to pay respects to uh, elders past, present, emerging. It's always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Uh, Today's guest I'm very excited for. Uh, it's Tilly Lawless. Tilly Lawless is a queer Sydney-based sex worker who uses her online platform to destigmatize sex work and advocate for decriminalisation and uh, better protections under the law for sex workers everywhere. Her debut novel is astonishing. It's called Nothing But My Body. Tilly Lawless, thanks for joining me on the podcast
1: my pleasure it's nice to have something to do in lockdown <laughs> <laughs>
0: good um let's let's dive into this brilliant book there's this huge sense of flow in this novel it's really different um and it for me reading it it uh, rests my expectations right away uh you wiggle between depression and elation and um, tenderness and being really visceral and and sharp. Um, I, I guess I want to know at the outset, like, what kind of headspace were you in when you wrote this thing?
2: Oh
1: God! I mean, I wrote it in lockdown. I wrote it wrote it from March September last year. Um, so. I think a lot of the things that I was missing really came through in it. So like, you know, like physical spaces and like being able to touch friends and things like that, like that was really, I think, and I think that's probably why it was so, so visceral and so um, tied to the body because I became like hyper aware of being isolated and not being able to have my body engage with people in the ways that, that it usually did. So that, that definitely um, influenced it. I will say that I had the concept for it before we went into lockdown like before I had any idea of like the kind of havoc that the pandemic was going to like wreak on our lives um and so like the concept of like the um fluctuations in the like um mental states and emotions as you mentioned was an idea I'd had um earlier in 2020 and um it was actually an idea that I got from um mrs dalloway right um yeah because you know how like obviously and i mean i haven't read that since a teenager but i remember it really clearly reading as a teenager and obviously you know it's like one woman's train of thought across like a concentrated period of time as she's going about doing her daily life, you know, like getting ready for a dinner party Mm. or whatever. And I really like the way her, you know, internal world like interacted with the external world. You know, like she's thinking about how she's going to decorate the room for this dinner party and she's thinking of who gave her a vase and it's like taking her back into her memory. Mm. And so like that was that was what inspired the structure. And then I was like, oh well like why don't I do it across? It was originally meant to be across a week because, like, a week just yeah, me. and then yeah. You got to eight days. Well, yeah, I got I wrote seven days, and then the seventh day was too depressing, and I was like, I can't finish like that. <laughs>
2: so,
1: I wrote another day, and um, also, I also wanted to show that like the sort of inevitable fluctuation continued, um, uh, indefinitely, like outside any sort of like time bracket that you might put it within, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. it's 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 eight days, but it's also. A, like a year and a bit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah, yeah. And
0: it, and it picks up like all this stuff from our contemporary context. The lockdown happens. Uh the bushfire season happens. It's mm. it's so contemporary. Uh and it's really immediate and and urgent as as a result of that. Ah, I just I love this book. Um oh, thank <laughs> <you>. <laughs> uh, the character in this novel at the outset. She's at a breaking point with uh, a failing relationship uh, with a woman that the reader never meets. Uh, she's like obsessive and she's unwell. Um, and she finds solace in... I don't know if solace is the right word, but, but I'm going to use it. She finds solace yeah. in sex work uh, mm-hmm. as, as a distraction from the distresses of her life. Which is a flip to how she normally operates. Which, you know, I, th- I think about that. And for most people who kind of work <laughs> in the in the capitalist mm-hmm. system, uh, the monotony of work can be uh, a solace, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I I want to ask you: has has sex work ever been uh, a refuge or a solace for you at any stage? Um, oh,
1: definitely. I think what you just what said about- what is,
0: what is it that you miss yeah. during lockdown?
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So to answer the first bit, yes, it definitely has. And I think what you said about the monotony of bro- work sometimes being an escape is really important because I think um, we often just like discount the importance of having like um, routine and structure in our days. And I think when you're really unwell like work can either be one of two things like it can either remind you of how unwell you are because you feel like you can't even function in your workspace and that's like the worst or it can yeah it can give you structure and distraction that you wouldn't have otherwise so sex work definitely has been that for me at points um and that is something that i mean obviously this lockdown round, around round feels i feel like feels so much worse than last year's lockdown because i feel like last year it was kind of like almost like exciting chaos. As like yeah. awful and distressing as it was, the whole world was, in it. we were all like, what's going to happen? You know, like you were, you were, it, there was like almost an adrenaline to it, you know? And like, mm. whereas I feel like this year's lockdown doesn't have that at all because A, we shouldn't be in it, you know? Like it's all a result of the fucking vaccine rollout. And B, we, there's no longer an excitement to it. Like this is, you know, coronavirus has been around for, you know, coming up to two years now and it's actually just really, you um, depressing um so yeah I'm very very much missing the connection that work brought me you know like um, the connection with other women like I miss a lot of the girls I work with at the brothel because they are women that I don't have relationships with outside of the brothel you know Mm. um and I also do miss the physical touch the work brings me like even though a lot of the time like I can resent the clients or like not want to be touched in that moment now that I'm completely without touch I realize that it kind of sex work has me at this sort of like base level of um, contact with people you know yeah yeah that's just gone
0: (laughs) so what what support is there for sex workers during the lockdown is there any
1: Oh, well, I mean, I'm lucky in that I'm able to get on Centrelink, like the disaster payment, Mm. because I'm unable to work. So, but, like, obviously there are plenty of, um, you know, like especially migrant workers who, you know, don't have access to Centrelink or, you know, people who are studying who, like, can't get on the disaster payment because they're already on AusStudy or whatever. Like, there's a whole gap in people, as we know, that have been, like, missed by the government. Um, But theoretically, um, if you're a sex worker who's a citizen, you can get on the payment
0: right now yeah well that's that's something um yeah because you think about it um the the sex industry is just is just overlooked in kind of broader movements and workers rights and unions and the labor party um have just always been run by white men and often mm. catholic white men um so they just get discounted and um, a lot of your work also also yeah. talks about how um, mainstream feminism or mainstream queer rights also discounts sex workers. Um, why is that? <laughs>
1: oh God, I mean with feminism, it's often come that's really tied to second wave feminism. Which obviously mm. had the concept of women needed to reject traditional roles, you know? So, like a traditional mm. role might be being a housewife. Um, and they also saw a lot of um, femininity of women as like trappings of the patriarchy. So, you know, like makeup or bras or like things like that. And um, unfortunately, that attitude has carried on. Um, you know, you, you talk about like the huge wars between like, um, sex-positive feminists and anti-porn feminists like through like the 70s and 80s and 90s and that's something that has like um, continued on into the debates around sex work. So like unfortunately a lot of feminists see sex work as um, as just a way of being a slave to the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And with queer, queer stuff, it's a little bit more complicated because with queer... Uh, with like the queer world often you have people who are trying to argue um, acceptance from the straight world based on the fact that they're respectable and so they want to they want to you know say that like I have a normal job and I pay tax and blah blah blah. And so unfortunately sex work is something that they feel smears the um, the you know acceptability of like gay people yeah.
0: You, you write about the work itself with uh, a frank and interesting honesty. It's really refreshing. Um, things I never think about, um, you know, getting RSI from wanking men <laughs> off for so many hours or, or just like how stingy the men can be.
2: Um,
0: there's, there's this great sense of humour that you you get um that I guess, just like permanently exists in um performing to predominantly male fantasies um yeah. on like on an industrial scale um but you you talk about the the joy uh that can be found in the brothel and particularly that camaraderie between the women mm-hmm. uh also the sadness um you you talk about how uh I love you mentioned how the the real world exists behind the closed door of the girls' room um, and and not where everyone is interested on the beds and the massage tables uh, across the rest of the place. Um, So what are the myths that are perpetuated in our culture where it comes to sex work? Um, Like what does film and television and all the like harrowing tell-all memoirs uh, get wrong?
1: Wow. well, so like, I mean, film and television, like so often you like hookers are just like, you know, like a Dead body in a crime show or something. They're oh, faceless, yeah. they're nameless. Um, so I think, like in film and television, widely, like generally, sex workers have been depe- depicted as sort of passive victims. Um, you do, of course, then get like salacious sort of stories, like um of a call girl or whatever, where it's presented yeah. as this job that brings you like great access to wealth and is incredibly thrilling and exciting and whatever. And um, I mean, the thing I've always said is that you know the realities of sex work fall somewhere between those dichotomies. And like what I also tried to present in the book was that not only the realities of sex work for different people fall between those dichotomies, but your own day in a sex work establishment can fall between those things. Because every yeah. single time you interact with someone, it's a different interaction. And you can have like a horribly awful dehumanizing interaction right next to something that's uplifting. And um wait, I've lost my train of thought now. What's your full question? Yeah, so I guess like and one of the things that I really wanted to do with this also was a show that, you know, I think a lot of the um, writing around sex work has been kind of relegated to one genre, which is memoir. And like I deliberately chose like a novel format um, because I wanted to also show that you can write about sex work and it not be the only focal point of the novel. Like, it yes. can be a, a backdrop. And so, like, for me, like, the real focuses of the novel were um, mental health, um, the queer community, um, the dangers of romance and infatuation. Like, they they were the focuses. And then sex work was just the atmospheric thing um, um, through which the lens through which I interpreted all those other things. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's really well put. Um, and I do want I do want to talk more about the mental health stuff and the relationship stuff I also I also want the the reader to kind of ex- experience as much of that for themselves as possible I don't want to spoil this novel oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's tricky um one one moment that that really <laughs> staying on the sex work one moment that um surprised or shocked me um was. A moment where a client um, is into a really dirty kink, and the, the narrator character is is she's not, um, and it's this horrifying moment for her, not necessarily because of the kink itself, but because he springs it on her, and he he hasn't like negotiated this and, and agreed to pay for it. It's it's something that he's taking from her uh and like in in my like repressed white male mind, um I was so like shocked that it wasn't the kink that that like mm. befouled her, it was the fact that uh he broke that really tenuous um consent that that exists yep. in that space um i guess. <laughs> Like, what, what can the world of sex work teach us about consent uh, oh, and, and yeah. like, rape culture and how it's permeating Canberra and beyond?
1: Totally. I, I mean, I think sex workers are so, would be such skilled educators when it comes to consent because I think right. we view consent as this really sort of, like, rigid thing. Like, you know, you say yes or you say no to something, right, whereas actually consent is something that's, fluid and nuanced and continues throughout an interaction with people. Like, and I think the other really important thing about consent, which we don't, we, we, have, we have a hyper focus on verbal consent in, in our society and it's like consent is also not necessarily always verbal it's also it's also something that can be cued subconsciously through people's bodies. And like I, I know this, for example, from seeing um disabled clients who can't who can't necessarily speak, but can cue to me like their consent in other ways. And also when I see clients that um don't speak English, you know, and I don't speak their language and we have to work out consent in other ways. And so I think people really need to see consent as something that continues and has to be checked in constantly throughout interactions with people rather than just this like stagnant thing um and i think we all need to learn to um not just communicate verbally but like to read each other's body body language better in order to work out when someone is like really okay with something you know um yeah
0: that's really well put um it's it's not surprising that that you've you've written this under lockdown because you you write really lovingly about physical connection and and you write really lovingly about sweaty nightclubs um, yeah <laughs> uh, this 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 kind of sacred space of of really of queer culture queer nightclubs um, both in like Australia and abroad uh, where love and friendship and sex and revelry all kind of mixed together with thumping music and lots of heat and sweat and chemicals like mdma and ketamine uh those spaces are just like as unknown to me as brothels are Uh, so like what makes them special for you as a writer tell me about them
1: look i think um there's there's two sides of it so there's the historical significance of those spaces to me so like i you know for very many decades um queer bars were a refuge for queer people when they couldn't meet in other spaces and like you think of like the raids on queer bars that happened all through the 1900s and um you think of in how the um for example the mobility of like um queers from um regional areas move moving to urban areas after the industrial revolution and sort of finding community for the first time and that was generally community found around these bars so Mm. i and i think as I said, like the pandemic made, you know, digital spaces are obviously like widely important, but I think the pandemic made us realise that digital spaces can never step in for physical spaces and um, made a lot of us real, you know, like there's been a lot of, you know, like a lot of, a lot of queer people don't feel connected to bar culture, you know, especially um, sober queer people or people who have just never liked partying or whatever. And so have felt, you know, kind of quite alienated by that world. But um, I think in the pandemic i know a lot of people were like oh wow that ones who would be maybe critical or like cynical about those spaces were suddenly like wow those spaces actually really do serve a purpose even if you're not into the music or you're not into the drugs it is just being in a room full of people and that kind of um the touch and the sort of like collective unconscious like um mood um that occurs in those spaces is just like really really important um so that's that kind of like um more broader historical side but then for me personally I I've always said like I love um I hate halfway spaces in that for example I love being at a friend's house talking to them sober um or I love being at a club completely fucked up and not talking to anyone you know but I don't like for example like pubs and um where you know you're meant to drink and shout and like I'm like give me one or the other and like one of the things I love about clubs is also like the anonymity that comes—did I say that right? Anonymity, anonymity. I can never say that right. Non anonymity, anonymity.
0: Ammininity.
1: An uh, an
0: it's a <laughs> okay. one.
1: Anyway, that like kind of comes with being in a dark space surrounded by bodies, and the moment of feeling part of a collective and transcending my body in that moment. Like,
0: yeah, and and to be able to feel safer in that space than you would walking the street it's like it's a it's a dichotomy like most most people would feel the opposite
1: (laughs) yeah well Um, I think I mean I can at the queer clubs I go to like I can take my clothes off and no one's going to touch me and like um I do feel a um refuge from the straight male gaze which I obviously feel so intently when I'm at work you know yes yeah
0: tell me about tapping into that Fluid interior world. Um, you mentioned the, the the Mrs Dalloway effect earlier, um, and and how how does that relate to consumption of chemical? <laughs> uh, like I'm thinking particularly about ketamine, which I I don't have any experience with, but um, I hear that it, like it makes it makes for long calm conversation about any and everything and a and a like a, a deep brooding like interior moment. Uh, yeah,
1: I like I like ketamine also because I I like hallucinogens and ketamine in certain amounts makes you hallucinate. So like I tend to push more towards like the, you know, people like scared of K holes. I quite like K-holing. Um, when I completely disassociated my body and think, like, for example, I'm a glass perfume bottle that's about to shatter. You know, like I like that disorienting experience that a lot of people don't like. Um, I do find with ketamine that it often also um helps me to write, like in that I'll have realizations when I'm on ketamine and I'll write that note down on my phone the next day when I'm sober, I'll write about what um what conclusions I reach in that moment look I, I I also just to be honest I also wrote about drug use so much in the book because I really resent the fact that male authors are allowed to write about drug use and their writing is still taken seriously you know like well you know like Thank William you for that. <laughs> yeah like you know like William Barrow, all the beat authors for example and yep. then when a woman writes about drug use it's her book is seen as trashy she's seen as messy she's not taken seriously as an author so like I deliberately I deliberately put a lot of drug use in there and also I it was also a political thing because I like believe in drug decrim but like I'm not actually like a a, I'm largely sober these days and like I often go to clubs completely sober um but it was a yeah there was like real intent in putting so much drug use um in there
0: do you do you enjoy clubbing sober like is it yeah is it just a different kind of experience
1: I feel that when the, and this is going to sound so hippie, but I feel like when the atmosphere is right um, and everyone's elated, you get completely high off the collective elation anyway. So, yeah, yeah, I really do enjoy, like, I do enjoy clubbing sober. Yeah.
0: One one place your character also um, searches for elation or euphoria is in the natural world. Um, and, and that's... And I guess that's why the bushfires are so tragic
2: um,
0: in this novel and and just, like, in our lives. Uh, How do you react to a catastrophe like that as a writer or as, like, a person, as a citizen?
1: How do I react to it? Mm. God, I mean, I feel like the way I reacted to it was by writing about it. Like, I still can't. I still can't think about that bushfire period without getting so distressed. Just mm. it's like I, it's too hard to even think about like the state of the climate in the world. You know what I mean? Like it feels.
0: Yeah, I, like, I get. I get yeah. what you're talking about. It's it's um, for, I think at least a lot of people in our generation and and the next. Um, it's kind of this just permanent state of distress.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it makes it just, it, it makes it hard to compartmentalize your life in the scheme of things. And it makes it hard yeah. to imagine a long term future Yeah. in a lot of ways. I will um, say
1: that was the, that was the, sorry to interrupt you.
0: Mm.
1: Um, I was just going to say that was the hardest that, day was the hardest day to write like i ended up like writing all the others and had to go back and like it was really really difficult
0: yeah yeah like a lot happens in this eight days (laughs) (laughs) um i but i still like i describe it as a as a novel of ideas um i reread the first chapter this morning and 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 even just just there um the whole the whole thing kicks off with your your character um, asking an octogenarian client to take photos of her, mm-hmm. um, and it just invites this remuneration uh, remuneration <laughs> rumination <laughs> over uh, like why do we photograph ourselves and why do we share mm-hmm. photos and 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 then like that invites like I like thinking about social media and how that will censor nipples and words like your keywords like brothel or porn or uh prostitute um Mm. in the name of kind of like family-friendly content but at the same time it's running this algorithm that's trying to push you to do the most like risque post Mm. possible in order to be seen and acknowledged and be seen as good um how Like social media is like your Insta is like a big part of how you share your ideas and your writing. So Mm. how do you how do you feel about that?
1: Look, I think Instagram's dying. I think we have. I think I view social media platforms as kind of like empires. You know that thing that empire every empire eventually falls. Like I think Facebook has fallen. Um, and now Instagram and Twitter are dying and I think we're having the rise of TikTok and then eventually TikTok will die. Um, I feel really grateful to have grown up in an age before censorship and algorithms and advertising ruined the internet. Like when yeah. I first really became into the internet as like, you know, um, a, you know, as like a 12-year-old. It was when I first started, you know, like um, RPGing online and getting really into like corners of the internet. Um, I loved the fact that it was sort of decentralized you had like niche forums in which you met with people um there was like it it was a fucking free fall you know and like yes it meant that I was sending nudes to older men when I was 14 and like yes it meant that I was seeing videos of people being beheaded online but also it was complete chaos like the world was complete chaos whereas now Mm. like the internet is fucking sectioned off and like into these territories that like corporations can just like crow over and exert their own rules and morality over and I hate that that has happened to the internet um so for me what I'm like I kind of hope that we're coming into a time where we will see um the death of these big social media platforms and the rise once again of decentralized internet where people moderate forums not for income and like a and like a separation from advertising, I don't know if that actually happened, but I, I hope that's the kind of internet that we will return to. Um, so it yeah,
0: sounds- my yeah. <laughs> it sounds like utopian almost, but, but that well, that I mean, was like, but been. that was five years ago, right? <laughs> that's it so
1: five hard. years ago though. Like t- I mean, it's more like ten years ago now. Yeah. I feel Like when the internet was like that. Um, look, so I have a complicated relationship with Instagram because obviously I've used the platform for many things, but the platform at the end of the day, I exist so tenuously there. I've had my Instagram deleted a number of times. Like I always yeah. have posts deleted. I have to be careful with what I say. Um, and I just, i to be honest, I am looking forward to the day when I can no longer exist, uh, no longer have to rely on Instagram in any sort of way and can just mm. have my words in like hard copy that can't be taken away by a corporation. Um Yeah, but look, I've recently started using the dark web, so like I feel like I'm moving to new spaces of the internet. Anyway, I'm like woo.
0: (laughs) Oh, dude! All right, we'll have to get on the dark web now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's where everyone's gonna go.
0: (laughs) Or at least just uh, read more of your books. Uh, This is the this is the first novel. Um, Yeah. uh, But you are writing more.
1: Yeah, I've written the second one. Let's finish that. Um, It's a magical. It's it's really different, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so different. It's like more traditional. It's a traditional novel structure. So it's like third-person past tense. Um, it's set in around like 2009. Um, so actually that era of the internet in which I was just like describing. Um, and it's the magical realism novel set in northern New South Wales um, that draws on like Scottish mythology as like a parallel for sort of um, dysfunctional like mother-daughter relationships. Um, it oh. was really fun to write. I really oh. loved writing it.
0: Yeah. Will you publish that with Alan and Owen as well?
1: I actually don't know at the moment. It's waiting to sort out. Um, Yeah. So I can't touch wood. We'll see. Um, It is my agent right now. She really likes it, Um, and we will take some steps beyond that. Yeah.
0: I'm excited. Um, What this book is brilliant, Um, and it already has this book. Nothing but my body is brilliant. Um, It already has. Like terrific endorsements from some really cool people, um, and and as you as we sort of said, you, you already have this big following um, mm-hmm. that you've cultivated over the years. What what do you want to achieve with this book?
1: Oh, okay. So this book, I feel like I firstly I wanted to prove myself to myself that I could write a book. Um, because I've tried in the past, yeah. Like I've, yeah, like tried when I was fifteen, and like you know what I mean. I've tried many times, and so this was. Um, and I wanted to write a book that um, played to my strengths,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is why I went like the sort of like um, flow of like consciousness, like first person, because that's what my Instagram has always been, and that's what people have followed me for. So this book was very much yeah, playing to my strength, proving that I could do it to myself. Um, and also giving my followers what they like to hear from me, you know? Whereas mm. this second book I've written is more what I wanted to write. You know what I mean? Or what I would read as a reader. Because, like, I'm, at the end of the day, like, I'm not into the book that, I mean, obviously, like, I I can't, like, I, I'm not going to say anything bad about my own book. But, like, this is not the book I would choose to read. Like, I like, personally, like, um, more traditional fiction. I really like fantasy. I really like sci-fi. Um I'm not particularly into autofiction. So I mean probably my agent and publisher maybe they don't want me to say that, but like
0: <laughs> well, I, I think that's a really interesting thing like, to say. I yeah. I yeah the, nothing but my body I I wouldn't have I probably would not have picked it up on its like uh description alone had it mm. not been for your name and mm. um hearing about you and and, and the um the, the really interesting following that you have and um like just knowing you as someone who has a lot of valuable things to say mm. uh that, it's that's that's a it's a tricky path to tread uh, but i I'm recommending this book to everyone. and um, I'm saying like for a lot of people, this book will be a challenge, not because it's a massive tome, or because mm. it is um, vulgar, um, but it's confronting and it's n- and it's going to be something that's just a wildly different point of view to, to so many people, and that's, mm. that's, that's why a fiction like this is valuable. I, I really appreciate your time today, Tilly.
1: Oh, thank you. We're wrapping up.
0: I think we will. we're yeah, um, sure. yeah, so Let <laughs> <laughs> um, um, let me, let me finish up off. by yes. saying asking one more question. Um, at At the top of the podcast, I, I asked about your headspace writing nothing but my body. Mm. and you said you wrote it in lockdown. Mm. What's your headspace now in lockdown once again?
2: Oh,
1: God, I mean, my lockdown headspace has been up and down. I have also the first three weeks were really fucked and I was really depressed and I couldn't do anything and that was making me feel more depressed. Um, the last week has actually been better because of book promo stuff keeping me occupied. So I feel like yeah. I at least have a purpose and I'm productive or whatever. And I know, like, obviously I hate the idea of, like, value being tied to productivity and, like, capitalist culture. But at the end of the day, I personally do feel better about myself when I'm productive. Um, so I am having... I'm having a good week this week because I'm busy with this stuff. Yeah. So, like, thank you for having me as well. Like, as I said, it gives some structure to my day. So.
0: Oh, we'll, we'll do this again.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Perfect.
0: <laughs> Nothing But My Body is published by Alan and Unwin. You can buy it online at booktopia.com.au.